Welcome back to the Pilgrim Faith Podcast, where human wonder fuels the quest for Christian wisdom. I'm joined again today by my good friend, Dale Stenberg, my faithful co-host. Uh, and one of the things that um, we often talk about in our private conversations is the nature of being a layperson in the modern church. I've been mm-hmm. um, teaching a course for the Davenant Hall on uh, the philosophy of modernity. Basically, you know, what are the interpretations out there, mostly from kind of sociologists and philosophers on the nature of just what constitutes the, the modern world. And one of the claims that we we exegeted as we went throughout that course, which we, we just finished, uh, was that you, one could call modernity the, the sort of simultaneous global renegotiation of all human custom. So where you see the kind of tendrils of modernity uh, arise, you see the renegotiation of, 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 of nations, you see the renegotiation of the relationship between employer and employee, an employee subject and, and, and authority, uh, man and wife, uh, layperson and pastor, all, you know, all authority structures, all custom doesn't go away. Uh, but the, the, the way in which custom mediates how that has typically been received does get renegotiated in a modern context, even if the old way and the old habits are reaffirmed and chosen. Uh, yeah. And that's a, that's a crucial thing to say. But one of the things that we can elicit from all that that's interesting, I think, is to talk about uh, what does it mean to be a layperson uh, you know, respecting one's elders in a modern context, in a modern church with modern habits and modern concerns. What is the, what is the, the, maybe the, we call it the responsibility, but what's also the role of the layperson uh, in the church? And I think that's a, yeah, that's a, a worthy conversation and, and one that I think is particularly relevant for the, you know, for the time we're in right now. Yeah, I remember we were talking with Hurd, Ryan Hurd, one of the teaching fellows at uh, the Davenant Institute, who's doing, um, <clears throat> in my opinion, the best work on recovering uh, divine simplicity and uh, working with Aquinas and primary sources. And in that conversation, um, I believe we talked about the office of doctor in the church. Uh, which was a category of a learned scholar that uh, was an authority on doctrine and um, how to sort of navigate the hairy uh, passages in the Bible uh, that just seemed foreign to most lay people. Now we don't have that anymore. Um, And I think one of the reasons is the proliferation of theological education in general uh, and the individual specialization uh, the specialized education of young men and uh, young men that are interested in digging deeper into theology. Uh, but what that has done is sort of create an environment in the local assembly of saints uh, in which the um, leadership, whatever, however that manifests in your denomination, uh, may not necessarily be the most well-educated uh, persons in that congregation. Yeah, yeah. Um, and this really is unique to the modern age. Uh, so I think what we are uh, wanting to talk about is how does that look on the ground and how do we think about those relationships between the laity uh, and the officers? Yeah. The, um, well, go ahead. Oh, uh, I was just going to say the, uh, the, uh, even though you and I would very much affirm uh, a kind of classical reformed ethos about the authority that ministers play in the community. Uh, nevertheless, I think to modern ears, you can go and read kind of rhetoric about the minister in the past that that seems uh, uh, a little shocking, e- even to modern sen- people with modern sentiments who very much believe sure. in respecting the minister. There's still nevertheless uh, a, a little bit of like, oh, wow, that's a, <laughs> you know, when the minister opens his mouth, you must, yeah, you know, you're the Puritan speak like this a lot. Uh, Part of that, I would imagine, does come from contexts where, as you were just alluding to, uh, it comes from contexts where it's ordinary that the minister really is the most educated person in the community and and knows the scriptures much, much, much better uh, Mm -hmm. than almost everybody in the community and tends to be a well-rounded, complicated individual in these societies, I think, in in a lot of cases. 
you add all of that together and it's not surprising that that becomes the rhetorical emphasis, you know, listen to the one who knows things, <laughs> you know, effectively yes. the one whom God has set aside to know these things. Right. And what complicates that in the modern context, not the, not the duty and not that that relationship doesn't fully change, but a, a, a sort of layer is added to, to, to that, that authority and submission space, if we could put it that way. Uh, when you do have uh, a congregation where there might be a half dozen people in the congregation, this isn't that common, but it's not, it's not, you know, it's not hard to find a church where there's a half dozen people in the congregation who know more than the pastor or know the scriptures in, in, in certain ways uh, more than the pastor. Uh, uh, and, you know, what do you do with that? And I think there's, uh, you know, there, you've seen very bad and very good models of what that actually winds up looking like uh, in the church. And maybe, yeah, maybe I can. Throw yeah. Well, yeah. And I was, I was going to say something similar and that's, so I think that here's, 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 so if we just recognize that this is a phenomenon of modernity right. and we just sort of recognize it and say, yep, that's a thing. Uh, then what do we do? Because I think what the uh, impulse of some may be is to assume that they're the one in the congregation that's smarter than the old guy that's been doing ministry for yes. 40 years preaching. Right. right. Um, and and so their ears might perk up and they might say, oh, they're talking about me. Uh, and that may be true, but it may not be true. And I think that um, if we're just labeling that and saying this is a thing, how do we deal with it? The first move is to say, OK, first, I need to be very humble right. uh, in the way that I'm evaluating my theological um, sort of cred uh, and how much do I really understand about my minister's theological cred? Because right. uh, ministers have to move in and out of a whole host of different sort of um, personalities and education, uh, educational levels of their congregants that are dealing with marital problems and yada, yada, yada. You just right. list off the litany of things that a pastor has to do. And uh, that, I think, um, creates inside of the pastor a, a better listening, a good pastor becomes a better listener. And right. so they economize their words to sort of aim at the thing that this particular person needs and then pull the trigger when they, when they can in order to help this person grow. Right. And that minister might be doing that to you. He might be on a recon uh, mission with you to determine what you're actually all about. Um, and if you're just sort of like, you know, uh, regurgitating the latest book that the thesis of the latest book that you read to sort of show the pastor, I've got this skills. I understand this little, right. but in 10 years, that little thing that you thought was so profound might just be the normal thing that all pastors for the most part understand. So it really is doing a self-evaluative sort of, um, analysis on really where you're at in your theological development and then being humble when you think that you're going to be the guy uh, that has answers for people in the church. Um, so that would be like, I think, the first move. Uh, yeah. and, and then if it's determined that, yes, it seems pretty clear to me after some time here, listening to the teaching, under, having conversations, getting to know the people, because the people really are sort of a reflection of the ministers and the ministers really are a reflection of the people, actually. Um, you can get a good understanding of sort of where you're at in the dynamic and what your gifts are and who you can give those gifts away to. And that might be that your gifts are uh, intended to be given to the minister uh, to aid him in his calling as a minister. Mm -hmm. um, and if that seems to be the case, uh, then how do we sort of settle into that particular dynamic in a wise way? I think that's really yeah, at the heart of I what think, we're talking about. Yeah, I think one of the one of the the, the difficult one of the the struggles and. Uh, <laughs> And I, and I should back up and just clarify, I think it's still probably or it's still probably the case that there are just plenty of churches. I know plenty of churches where certainly the minister uh, or one of the elders, in fact, that's probably still ordinary, is the most, you know, sort of 
sort of educated person in the church on, on these sorts of issues. There's just plenty of exceptions. That's really what we're talking about here is in the sure. modern church, there's just more exceptions to this. And that's, that's what's contextualizing this conversation. I think the first thing you said is just right, which is, the, you know, there's so many people that like they, they start to learn theology, especially young men. And, and maybe this is sort of like the 90s internet era. Uh, right. But I, I, I think I still see it going on on Facebook as well. It's not uncommon, especially in the reformed community for kind of young men to get really excited and to grow enormously in an enormous amount of theological knowledge. And then you get the that, that, that kind of same story where, you know, you're looking around for a church, you go to church, and you're just kind of throwing theological swagger around. Yeah. You know, you're 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 showing everybody what's up. You're kind of being a little annoying and and you know you know <laughs> back in Sunday school and being all cool or whatever. And the yes. vibe you're sending out is, uh, "Hey, I know a lot. Pay attention to me." And it's 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 a it's a bad look. It's immature. And and generally speaking you're going to wind up being a stumbling block to pastors and elders <laughs> yes. uh, because you're tempting them to be annoyed at you <laughs> Yes. when there's no, there's no reason to. And I think what you said is right. Go in humble, go in assuming not just that the pastors and elders have something to teach you, but that the people around you in those pews have something to teach you and go in assuming that if these are your elders and that is your pastor. Uh, and I think this is crucial crucial for people, uh, especially people with theological education. You can get the impression like, oh, you know, like I know all this stuff, you know, I've read this, that, and the other, what can the pastor tell me? Yeah. And it's like, you know, what you just said is right. He's had 40 years of ministry probably, and he's not reducible to, you know, whatever collection of propositions you think. He's a person whom God has called to this. And I, and, and I think that each person ought to have a posture toward toward their elders and toward their ministers and really toward other people in their church. That if somebody is in my face opening a, a mouth and speaking to me, maybe in God's providence, that's the thing I need. And he sent them in my life, even if their motivations are mixed. Yeah. Uh, nevertheless, he sent them in my life to speak words to me and I need to be humble and receive that. And then on the backside of that, it's really from that spirit, I think then that you, you, just because you are gifted at what you're gifted at, you, you, you're open about your gifts and you posture them as things that are there to serve in whatever way the leadership of the pastors and elders feel like it needs to be used. And so you're yes. not kind of coming in itching to showing the signal that I'm itching to like find a position. You're going in giving the signal, hey, I'm actually not here to go find my influence. I'm here to serve. Uh, and it, you know, if you want that good, if you don't, all right. And, uh, um, yeah, you let the Lord yeah. mostly work that out. Yeah. 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 And, uh, you and I have talked about this a lot, but <clears throat> I think it's worth repeating, uh, because I do think it is one of those things in the modern age, given the amount of information, uh, given the publication of books that we've not had access to and the types of personalities that are attracted to those theological treatises or philosophy or sociology or politics or you name it, right? Pick your thing. Um, we do have a, a greater access to all of these materials. And we have teachers. Uh, we have teachers uh, formally in like seminaries or university or college or, or whatever. Um, we have teachers inside of the church. Uh, so it's if, if, if the first move is to sort of be humble, recognize your gifts, accumulate the information and then give that information, give. And it's not just information. I want to be careful here because that relates to what I'm about to say. Um, but if you really do find that your calling is to be that guy that's going to be entrenched for the most part in uh intentional, rigorous, disciplined study of all the things, um, then you really should see yourself in a humble way as giving something to your minister. Wisdom, I think, in part, is recognizing how you go about doing that. 
So we're talking about the annoying guy in the back of the Sunday school that's like, burr, 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 did you hear that Bob Inc. said Hirsch? You know, you make all the moves and then everybody's like, oh, he's red. So he know. Instead of being that guy, right, um, you could be the guy that quietly sort of hums underneath the radar. That sort of throws out the gift as you as as it presents itself and say that I can contribute to this thing in a constructive way that doesn't make me look annoying. And yeah. I'm, I'm going to rely on uh, people responding to me, including my minister, on a personal one on one level. So it really goes from are you wanting to be a showman or are you really wanting to do the hard work of of being a uh, godly man serving your uh, church in, in spirit and truth. And just giving the gifts away that you have to give in the organic way that you give that and sending the signals there again that like you're part of the team and you're 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 there to support that team. Mm. Um, and there's and it's you know these things are complicated you know in that you know, again, as, as, as we think about this, as a, uh, this is an era where lay people are experiencing a particular sort of ethos as a lay person within evangelical congregations. Uh, but there's also sort of an adjustment for elders and ministers to experience uh, on their side. Mm -hmm. What does it yes. mean to be an elder and minister? That's what I literally so, just wrote down. You know, so, for instance, <laughs> like, you know, elders, you know, to use that Timothy language, are sort of fathers of the church. That's sort of the household of Christ. Uh, you know, they really are kind of the fathers of the community. But the, the, the model, for the most part, is that the relationship that a father has to an adult child. So most of the people in the church are not, you know, you and your five-year-old. Most of the people at the church are you, you the 70-year-old the with your 40-year-old kid, where the dynamic is not just telling people what to do, right? You know, it's a, yes. the assumption is, is that you have an adult relationship to this project in a sense, uh, 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 in a sense at the get-go. Um, but in any case, when you, when you, you know, have this, uh, when you enter these, these social circumstances, these church circumstances, um, one of the virtues on the other side, one of the virtues I think that elders and pastors have, and you, you, you know, I think we've both seen plenty of different reactions here, is what is the kind of automatic reaction to another gifted person near them. Yes. Uh, and you definitely can, there's definitely congregations out there, like let's just, let's just call a spade a spade. This is a real thing. There definitely are places where if, you know, uh, the knowledgeable guy comes in and even if he's not sort of like throwing it out there for advertisement, just hit the presence of the knowledgeable guy is uh, intimidating or related to in a kind of insecure way. You're kind of nervous. Is this person going to lead people away? That sort of thing. Uh, whereas really secure pastors and elders, and this has been a, you know, I've seen this as well, and it's really uh, a remarkable and wonderful thing when you see it. When you see people who are secure that I'm a pastor because God called me to be a pastor, and we're elders because God called us to be elders, and we're just confident that God is working through us with this community, they're just happy when the gifted people come. It, yes. You know, their attitude is God brought the gifts here. Great. And, and there's this automatic, uh, the church I go to now, certainly that's been my experience was there was, again, I didn't come in sort of swinging around saying, look, look, look what I can do. Uh, right. But nevertheless, it, to the extent that it was known, it was always seen as an, oh, good. That's exactly what, that would be really great around here. <laughs> yes. you know, And so there was never this nervousness about it. Uh, yeah. yeah. And I think that this gets into like really, and I know this word has been abused, but I'm just going to use it because whatever. But like the missional mindset, if you really are, and really this gets to the Catholicity, um, the idea of Catholicity, because if you think that your church is the only sort of orthodox church standing against the tide of the progressive waves that's washing away uh, the Christian tradition in the modern age, um, then, then you're going to have a posture to authority to uh, to people that come into your church uh, that's largely suspicious. But if you have uh, the mentality like God is growing His church in North America right now, because that's just where we are. Right. Uh, God is growing His church through 
people coming to faith in Christ and being discipled in local congregations mm. sprinkled throughout the country. And I'm keeping my eye open for the people that God sends me that I have the opportunity to help sharpen and make razor sharp, uh, hone all their skills in so that they're an effective tool against Satan. Uh, if that's sort of the posture, then I think that that breeds a healthy environment for people that are humbly wanting to be discipled, but they also recognize their gifts and they want to give those gifts away, that that will attract those sorts of people and they can feel comfortable in their own skin in something like that, where they don't look at it as like, well, I need to make sure to make this move because if I make this move, then things could go bad. If I make this move, things could, they're not looking for the pitfalls all over the place. They just walk into a congregation, the pastor receives them, the pastor's happy that he has this new little weapon, uh, not to instrumentalize people, right. but to say like, this is what God just sent me. Thank you, God. Let me do everything I can to right. help this man advance the cause of Jesus Christ. Because at the end of the day, the church is Jesus's church and it's not pastor X, Y, and Z's church. It's, it's Christ's church. And we should be good stewards with the people that Jesus brings into his fold. Um, so we're sort of looking at this from two angles. We're looking at it from uh, the congregant side, and then we're looking at it from uh, the side of ministers. Yeah. And we're touching on both of those things. I want to ask you, just because I'm curious, um, why do you think that, uh, well, let me ask you this first. Do you think that there's a third sort of thing going on? Because I don't want to just pigeonhole people. You're either in this sort of church or you're in this sort of church. And it could be uh, that uh, the uh, the educated fellow that's got a bunch of gifts that God has given him doesn't just waltz into the church, but he grows up from a baby, uh, right, inside yes. of that church. Yes. Um, yeah. So. True. So is there a is there a third sort of category that we could sort of put our finger on and go, well, actually, this is this is a way that that could look also that's not necessarily um, ministers that are threatened by uh, the intelligent guy uh, and ministers that just sort of embrace them fully. There's got to be like a oh, spectrum I, and of I, Yeah, I think I think the I think in a sense, for, at least for me, what I've been talking about the whole time would be a third category by that standard. Because I think it would be nerve wracking, certainly to sort of, uh, it would be rare, of course, as well, but it, it would it, to sort of embrace somebody that you don't know, like ministers have an interest in the, in the uh, doctrinal and moral purity of the congregation. There is a, re, you know, if you, if you're a, uh, an in, if you're a guy that looks like you could be a, I hate to use this word, but a quote, quote, influencer in the church and you yeah. move into the congregation and you start attending there, uh, it's actually important for them if they think like, okay, this could be one of those personalities, not to be skeptical or cynical, but to get a read. That's just going to be an important thing for a wise minister, just to know who's in their midst and to know who might, uh, because there are, you know, wolves do come in. <laughs> mm. And so it's not wrong to have an eyeball on that. People can be cynical about it and insecure over it. That's where I think sin can be operative. But to be prudent and, and wise about it, I think is, is absolutely crucial. And that's where the distinction you made really matters. So, you know, the guy who's been raised in the congregation and winds up becoming, a, and I've seen that several times, you know, they're raised in the congregation, they go grow up to be a minister and they wind up becoming a leader in the church. Um, yeah, that's, 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 that's a, a way to, to cultivate and pass on real trust for a very delicate position. Uh, and so, yeah, and, I and think that's exactly even, why when you come in from the outside, I think, you know, people don't know you, you walk to the new congregation. That's why when you come into the outside, the vibes you're sending out are very crucial because yeah. one, you, you know, it's, 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 and again, I don't mean this to, this might sound like as though the, the point is, is like, you want to take over the world, fellas, make sure you don't do it on the day one. You got to wait till day three. That's not <laughs> right. The yes. point is rather you actually do like if you're gifted, you're gifted and you're supposed to give those gifts to the church, go do that. But the way to do that and what you need to do that is, is, is through the discipline and gift of, of being 
on the team of the leaders God has given you. And that's and that can be frustrating. That can be limiting. There's a whole set of things to be said there. Um, and I think it, you know, it might even be worth talking about that for just a second, because I know here at Davenant, we've had a lot of publication and a lot of discussion in various avenues with Jonathan Lehman of Nine Marks and such about, about church authority. Mm. Yes. And I think it's worth saying um, on that, most of the, the conversations I think we've had theologically at Davenant, and for listeners who don't know what I'm talking about, that's fine. Uh, there's been, there's been uh, conversations between Davenant and or representatives of Davenant and representatives of other traditions on the precise nature of church authority. And one thing Davenant has insisted upon over its, over its years in, in various you know, writings and, and public you know, conversations and such, uh, the insistence has been that, you know, we don't just say that the word of the church or the word of the elders or the word of the minister is automatically the word of God. You know, that's, that's, nobody's saying that that's just not even Protestant, <laughs> right? right. Uh, when the pastor speaks, even from the pulpit and when the pastor speaks, you know, behind the scenes, the authority of the word, the, the whether or not divine moral authority is intrinsically there has to do with the relate whether or not what they're saying is true or not <laughs> you know that mm. nevertheless uh, one thing we've always still insisted upon and i think this is still crucial um pastor whether pastors are right or wrong or elders are right or wrong or let's use that differently let's say it this way whether they're perfect or imperfect and they're all imperfect <laughs> yeah. they do have a political authority just like the father has a political authority in the home whatever their decisions are and when you are joining yourself to that household just as if you were to join yourself to the household of a man the only the only way to do that and for it to be a healthy place with a healthy dynamic is to join yourself to a team who you have agreed to have a submissive and humble spirit toward. Sure. Uh, and I think that mean and I think that means treating them as uh, the extra layer to add there again is that providential layer. Be expectant, even if you could read them cynically, even if you could read uncharitably be expectant that God, when, when somebody is speaking to you who's in a spiritual authority over you, might really be speaking words that you need to hear, which doesn't mm. mean, you know, there's, there's cases of spiritual abuse and there's cases of people being unjust. There's plenty of them, in fact. And so none of this is to say, don't have a brain and let yourself get abused. None of that's true. Yeah. But we, that's not our, that's not our only problem. Our problem is also that we just don't want to listen. <laughs> yes. Uh, and yes. that we don't believe, you know, somebody has something to tell us. And sometimes people do have something to tell us. And it, yeah, and I think that this, people the, do. Uh, we, yeah. need, we need to be told what for sometimes. Uh, yes. Yeah. Uh, yes. And I think this really is not even a problem that's particular to uh, the church. Obviously, you mentioned the family. And I would just say that the same principle that you just articulated of, uh, you know, you got to be on the team, you got to walk into the house and go, okay, I'm here, I'm going to join the house, I'm going to be on the team. That goes to the civil sphere as well. Um, it works in the home, it works in the church, and it works in a nation or a state or a city or a community or an HOA or whatever. Yeah, one of the great ironies of conservatives, actually, no, I shouldn't say all conservatives, but one, I'm sure you've detected this. There's this fascinating irony that you have such a so often like such disrespect toward the civic sphere and even kind of troublesomeness at church. But then in the home, there's this expectancy of like dictatorial subservience. Yeah. Uh, that's well, that's what I was going to, that, that's what I'm driving at is that this is a phenomena in the modern age, I think, because trust systems are broken. Uh, once the trust breaks down in whatever community you find yourself in, then the people at, that are in leadership roles, they get the biggest dose of mistrust directed right at them. Yeah. So if you, and you can blame all your problems on them, uh, which just further sort of divides because sometimes, and I've, and this really is this, because I, I wanted to touch on abuse. You mentioned abuse, and yeah. that is um, extremely important to say, uh, just to say abuse happens in churches all the time. Yes. And if anything, we're watching it. I mean, there's a story out every month. It every feels 15 like. seconds. Yeah. Yeah. Right. right. It's yeah. just unbelievable. Um, 
Right. So you don't want to be that sort of mindless lemming that has a view of authority that that believes that that authority is supposed to dictate everything that you believe, everything you feel, everything you think, and everything you do. That's not why we go to church. That's not no. what elders are for. Uh, that's not what we look to our fathers, our human fathers for. That's right. not what we look to yeah. our govern, our governor, uh, our right. magistrates for. Uh, but there is implied in that natural sort of hierarchy, for lack of a better term, and I know you would make distinctions on what exactly we're talking about, but yeah. just, yeah. yeah. Uh, but just to say there needs to be an implicit trust from the beginning if you voluntarily, and in the in the case of the home, involuntarily, join yourself to this community of people that those are the guys over there that have been been... a little bit Baptist there, aren't you, Dale? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I am. This is where my Baptist will come out because of course, Uh, but, and it doesn't matter. Like if you, if you, if you end up in a church and there is, there are elders or bishops or what call them, whatever you want, there are authorities in the church. Yes. There's an implicit trust that they're automatically given not yep. a blind trust, but an right. implicit trust a good and yep. a, a, of good faith and a subscription to being underneath of them as a subject. Yes. You are placing yourself underneath of their rule. And, um, but, and uh, well, it's not just Baptist churches. I was going to say Baptist churches suffer, I think, uh, from this a little bit more than Presbyterian models of government uh, because they're isolated, um, independent churches. Uh, so some Baptist churches and none of the churches uh, that I've had, none of the Baptist churches I've had good relationships with operate like this. But sometimes you find a Baptist church where the main pastor is sort of like the CEO uh, and his wife is sort of like uh, uh, the CFO. Yeah. Um, yes. And then everybody else is just sort of cubicle workers that they're trying to get to go do all the things that they want them to yes. do. The staff. And that, and that's not the, staff. the same thing as the session. Totally different. Or yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Right. Exactly. But I've also uh, been in uh, the last church I was in uh, was a church that was dedicated to total transparency. And it was more of a democratic thing. So the authority, and I don't want to get into ecclesiology inside baseball yeah. or whatever, but the authority really like this does come from the whole church, not just one guy at the top. Right. Um, well, that's part but, of what the, the part, that's part of really why uh, Baptists historically have had to some extent, perhaps a richer uh, precisely because of their ecclesiology. And I don't think there's anything that Presbyterians and Anglicans can't get from this, because actually this is true of Anglicans as well, Baptists coming out of the Church of England, right? Uh, have had a rich theology of the laity. Uh, I think, for instance, in the Baptist Confession, there's a category for the gifted brethren, for instance, yes. and I'm not even sure that exists in the Westminster uh, variant of that particular piece of ecclesiology. Um, nevertheless, in the real in the real world and on the ground, it seems like such a a practical category and one that's fairly, you know, prompt, I shouldn't say prominent, but one seemingly implied in the New Testament. Um, hmm. uh, and so, um, yeah, I, I think all the, yeah, all the things you're saying are correct uh, about abuse and about the, the, the structures that can make that uh, more prevalent. Um, and, and it's a tricky thing, just like respecting, like you say, like respecting the civil magistrate and respecting one's husband in a thome. Husbands can be dictatorial. Husbands sin. Um, and, and, and husbands need to be opposed sometimes. And, yes. and civil government needs to be opposed, not, not, not against the team, but a particular decision needs to be protested or something like this. Uh, and in a good uh, in a good church, there's a, a, a healthy dynamic at play where those frustrations can be can be voiced and sort of come out and, and worked work through in a healthy way. Um, maybe one one other thing worth emphasizing in our conversation is the role we've talked about the role that maybe people gifted in way X because we're really right now we're just talking about like you know the, the intellectually or kind of culturally gifted or whatever maybe have role x to play in encouraging their minister or whatever in this way but everybody has that role of encouraging their minister yep. through their through in elders and in one another through their own gifts 
but it's worth it is worth mentioning. I think the thing you said earlier is really crucial. It, lay people, and I've heard this said before, scandalously. I think lay people. Uh, especially those without a great deal of emotional intelligence can kind of look at what a pastor does. And I've actually heard people sort of say like, you know, what do they do all day? You know, blah, 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 blah. Right, you know, right. sort of like I'm, I'm out here doing my 60 hours of work and what are they doing? Like going around and getting coffee and lunch with people or whatever. Right, and the right. idea is like they don't work hard or something like that. First of all, you and I know the average minister we've known works obscenely, just obscenely, Ridiculous. obscenely yes. hard. And, and that does not even state the, the degree of psychological and emotional burden you have when you know everybody's problems, when you're working through all of the things, all of the time, when there's, when things are awkward because people, you know, relate to you weirdly precisely because you're the minister, yes. there's family stresses that come from that. You go down, and some of this is dynamics in kind of church life and ecclesiastical life that come from expectations of the minister relative to the congregation that are unhealthy. You know, so for instance, um, I suspect a lot of problems, I'll get back to the main point in a second, but just a no. parenthetical comment. I suspect a lot of problems come from models where, uh, uh, where, where, where pastors always kind of come in as a flank move uh, from other congregations and they come into situations where they don't know the elders real well. And you, you wind up seeing these circumstances where like elders and pastors don't get along very well. Uh, you've just seen that over and over and over okay. again. Um, and so one of the things that happens, I think, that creates some of the dynamics we're talking about, say, say take an instance like, uh, and again, this is parenthetical, but something like pastoral isolation, at least from the cheap seat, sometimes it looks like isolation is almost engineered into the thing when the pastor arrives. Either both because the pa the congregation has a sort of like, that's the pastor's family, sort of aura around the pastor, and because the pastor's family can receive that aura. Uh, and once they realize, you know, in the congregation, like, oh, actually, I, I guess I'm really not on board with these elders, they wind up that there's just a whole kind of social uh, gap between pastor and congregation that I, I think I've seen work against uh, a lot of ministerial lives. But all of that, all of that to say, even if those dynamics aren't present intentionally, um, uh, even if they're they're absent, in fact, uh, all of the things you just mentioned still obtain, which is the the level of emotional burden, the level of the level of investment psychologically in the intimacy of people's lives, and this is true of elders as well. Uh, when you have elders who practice, as in my church, elders who are who are good and practice visitation. Um, it, it takes a lot. And so, and I, and I think we, we underestimate just as sometimes in a home, uh, I heard somebody say this once, and I think it was wonderful. We can underestimate in a home, how long a man can go without encouragement. Yeah. Uh, he can be faithful, kind of the loyal puppy dog, but you don't realize that he's kind of running on encouragement fumes. And I do suspect there's a lot of cases where pastors are just giving and giving and giving and giving and giving uh, and thinking and studying and preparing and trying not to offend that person and needing to offend that person. And mm -hmm. every day over and over, and they have their own problems and their own sins and their own pains and their own whatever. Uh, and they subsist on that kind of kind of kind of uh, mouse wheel yeah. with very little encouragement. And yes. so, one of the things I would want to say is, as lay people, maybe as we're we're kind of we're kind of moving toward a conclusion to our conversation here, is I think it's really crucial in the modern church for lay people to take up their their dominion in the church precisely through a, a, a deeper encouragement of their leaders. Uh, if your if your pastor preached a good sermon, now and, and you don't need to tell him every week, but make a point. You know, to, yeah. if your pastor preaches a good sermon, uh, to uh, to to speak appreciation into their lives, or just to the pastor's family's life, uh, all of those things, and into your elders, uh, uh, tell them. Uh, uh, tell them how much you appreciate it when they eld well. Uh, <laughs> right, right, <laughs> so, right, right. Yeah, um, and um, I've tried to make a, I've tried to make a habit out of that, Joe. 
Um, I remember so years ago, we had a new pastor come into a church that Rachel and I were in the process of joining. We'd only been there like four or five, six months or something like that. And the new guy showed up um, and it was a small church at the time. Um, it's grown exponentially now. Um, but I remember I was like, I was, I was right in the middle of like reading Bonson and Van Til, uh, and I'm dabbling in Calvin a little bit. Uh, but I had moved on from like the desiring God, uh, Ligonier stuff. And I'm like starting to get into the, what I thought at the time was like the big boy stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you were and being we theology started, red pilled. Uh, yes. It's just the yeah. red pill all over the place. Growing pains, just all the things are just exploding out of me everywhere. Yes. Uh, Can we I was still the, stone adulterers? Yeah. That's the, uh, that's <laughs> right, the uh, right. that becomes the smart question to ask in the locker yes. room. Yeah. Yes. Um, but he came and we started to um, have dinner with him fairly often. What I quickly came to realize uh, is that the life of a pastor, as you just got done so eloquently sort of laying out the psychological, emotional, spiritual toll that it takes to be able to effectively, because if you go into that position of authority where uh, you have to answer for the souls underneath your care, that's a huge charge. Yeah. And that could cause, I imagine, like existential dread at like 2.30 in the morning because you can't sleep. Um, the burden, the weight, you know, it's heavy, heavy as the crown sort of thing. Uh, but I, so I tried to be very intentional about encouraging pastors. And you told me something one time that has stuck with me. And now I tell other men this. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I, I think one time you said, you, you, you take the sort of, uh, honor your, honor your, your elders or whatever, honor your pastors, honor your leaders, uh, to mean, just don't be a jerk that sort of drags them down. And you're always the guy that they have to worry about all the time. And they're constantly dumping time and energy into you be an encouragement to them. Like honoring them is not making unnecessary drama yeah. or work for them and encouraging them along the way. And I don't care where you are in your uh, set of gifts or how intellectual you are or how fine grained your theological, technical uh, training goes. Everyone can do that. Yeah. Everyone can do that and everyone should do that. Yeah. Don't, and don't you'll be, be surprised what the if you and really it's funny we're saying this it's like the simple the simplest way that we could say any of this is just like obey god in all of these areas yeah. because the things we're talking about are just things we're told to do hebrews you know talks about these people watching out for your souls you know the impl implication being like hey this is a hard job so like yeah don't be in you know yeah exactly exactly don't be don't be a, a, a problem for these yeah. poor people who have these who, who i shouldn't say poor who, who you know we can also say and i think a lot of them would say they get to do this it's a privilege to do yeah. it it's nevertheless a, a labor to do it and right we are supposed to we're supposed to support that labor and it, it's as in anything in any authority and submission context there's there's tricks to that it can be difficult um, and I think the, the principles analogize in the home, they analogize here, they analogize in our relationship to the civil magistrate. And really what we're, what we're doing, I think, in having a conversation like this is talking about what it means to have a godly relationship to authority, really. Yeah. In general, in an era where that's not natural to us, um, and where uh, most authority relationships do assume a greater degree of adultness in the subjects than has historically yeah. been ordinary. Mm, and that is actually it. true even in the relationship between man and wife. You know, you get that kind of, you know, you don't, it's it's offensive now, and, and I think rightly so, to kind of have that sort of 1950s, like, oh, the, the you know, the women, you know, they get too much information and then their head gets crazy. You know, it's like, it's not exactly how, you know, they can actually think and read books and stuff, you know, like, right, whoa, right. who would have thunk? You know, yeah. uh, you know, and so, uh, you know, they're not that kind of infantilizing thing. Um, yeah. But once you yeah. get beyond that model, you know, respect and, and deference, 
also having that moment where you can say like, actually, you know, elder or pastor, I think this thing, what about that? Uh, that's a complicated thing that takes wisdom and humility and we all need that. And I think if we're, uh, you know, our job as lay people, and that's what our conversation is about, because you and I, neither you and I are ministers, neither mm -hmm. you and I are elders. Uh, but what we are is people who give gifts as lay people to the congregations we're in and have opportunities to nevertheless encourage and nevertheless be that that person who's a joy to pastor. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, because, hey, I'm here to give you my gifts and help out. And I'm also not here to annoy you. And you also earn the, the moment perhaps to kind of say the thing if it's like, well, actually I have a strong opinion about this thing and you're, you're ultimately the leader here, but like, I'm going to, I'm going to tell you that thing and you yeah. earn the right to, you know, you earn the right to, to, to have that say, I think when you, when you've put out that good vibe, when you've not been a stumbling block. And really that's what we're talking about here is like, how do you both encourage your, your, your leaders and how do you not be a stumbling block to them? And that's kind of, you know, we can't speak for them. It's the, up to them to figure out the, the other side. And I think in both of our cases, we've had great experiences with pastors and elders who've ministered to us very deeply. Uh, yeah. And just to, to drive that point home, um, and this is just from my personal experience, but you, you, you do earn the right uh, to sort of have your voice heard. Uh, yeah. If, if something's bothering you and it's serious enough and it's worthy of attention and you draw attention to it, uh, you do, you, you, they will have a respect for you as a man, as a God, uh, a godly man given a set of gifts and they will receive your wisdom if they're, if they are also godly men that, uh, you know, yeah. understand what's going on. But what I've noticed is, and then we'll close after this, I'll let you have the last word and I'll wrap us up, but um, is that they'll seek you out too. Uh, so if you come into a, a congregation and, and uh, you have this relationship with your, your, your ministers and your elders, uh, then they will inevitably start to ask your advice on things. That was my experience. It's like we're putting a conference on what do you think we should do? What do you think about this? Like, I'm thinking about doing a sermon series on this. What do you think about that? Do you think it's wise? Are there things in the church that you think this would address? So you really do join the council, so to speak. Uh, maybe not formally, but informally, uh, they notice that this is this is a man who God has equipped with a certain level of wisdom and insight and and learning. And let me draw from that well to see what I can get out of it in order to benefit my ministry to the rest of the people. And in that way, uh, you are ministering to the people via the leadership as you give as they seek your advice and you give good, wise, humble, sober uh, advice. So, um, yeah, I, I guess that's all I wanted to add to. Yeah, what you said I, there. I think that's really, I think that's really, I think that's correct. And I, I think, uh, and what, like you said, that's going to depend upon, uh, the, the humility and the godliness of, of ministers. And, and again, you know, we could, we could make this qualification all day long, but we're, you and I are deeply aware that there's people out there and perhaps listeners who've had experiences with, with, you know, church, church leaders where there was reasonable things to say that weren't listened to. That's not, yeah. that's not an uncommon experience. But I, I think one thing uh, worth saying that this sort of adds to what you said, it was a piece of advice. I remember somebody giving me in a, in a previous church of mine, my friend, John, uh, he said, Joe, we were up for elder election season. And I thought this was interesting. He said, Joe, do you want to know who you should make an elder uh, or who you should nominate to be an elder? Find the person who's already doing the work of the elder and then nominate them to be the elder. Same yep. thing. And, and what that does is get rid of the guy who just wants the position, right? Uh, and somebody who already has the gift. And what we're, what we're identifying there, and I think you have in your, your, your Baptist confession, gifted brethren, right? The gifts mm -hmm. and the offices are different. The reason what you said just works well uh, and, and kind of inevitably happens is because the gift you have 
is a gift that you uh, that, that you kind of share to some extent. There's an overlapping gift between you and the minister, and he's drawing upon your gift for the sake of his office, which you mm. do not possess. Uh, and I think that's a, a really crucial distinction because there's what that what that adage uh, implies. Even though there's plenty of people gifted in the ways we're talking about who are not qualified to be the elder, all it does, nevertheless, is help us make the distinction between gift and office. Uh, mm. And really, this whole conversation implies. I think that distinction, which is God has given his church the gifts of uh, people with all sorts of gifts, theological, understanding, insight, wisdom, encouragement, uh, 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 serving, all those things. And then there are offices which organize those gifts on behalf of the whole congregation. Uh, and if so, if you, yeah, if you, you know, what that, what that implies is exactly what you said. Yeah, you should be expectant that you walk into a congregation and there's many people in the congregation gifted at teaching. And the congregation ideally is drawing upon all of those gifts and then sort of channeling their public face through the mm. guidance and the leadership of the pastors and elders. That's the filter is maybe the wrong. It's the perfection. It's the flowering. It's the gardening yeah. of those gifts into a public face is, is perhaps the better way to put that. Uh, yep. Yeah. So I think, I, th I think I'll end there. I'll, I'll with the last uh, note to, I think lay people, if, you know, if you're a lay person in a congregation, I, I really do think we need to think about this very seriously in the world. We, 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 we might have inherited a, 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 a sort of model of the minister that's sort of an aura, a kind of sacred object over there that is liable in a modern context actually to leave you in a great deal of frustration. And rather, it's good, I think, look at your leadership as the leaders God has given you, the gifts God has given you to have a, an attitude of deference toward them, but also to be a, you know, confident that God has given you gifts and put you in this congregation to serve and, you know, be open to use them and serve them and don't feel that, that weird dynamic uh, and actually have that, that helpful, both kind of, you know, offering your gifts, but also, but also deferential toward your leaders dynamic that is, yeah, that I think will is part of, you know, figuring out how to do this well. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, this was a good conversation. I'm glad we had it. Um, yeah. And I'm sure we'll probably reference back to this at points in other areas, because, you know, I think you and I both try to talk about all the things and everything. And that's a yeah. beautiful thing. Uh, so uh, good conversation. Thank you, brother. Uh, as always, you guys can head over to davenantinstitute.org uh, to check out what Davenant's doing. We've got uh, new classes for Davenant Hall that are coming up. Everyone should check those out. Uh, you can find all of our previous episodes on uh, iTunes or any podcast catcher, uh, but you can also head over to Davenant Institute's YouTube page. We've got a few Facebook. Uh, we've got one Facebook page and one Facebook group. If you want to get into the conversation, we'd love to chat with you. Uh, but Joe, I love you, brother. Love you too, man. And we will see you guys next time. See you later.